Hi, I'm Christine Dorr, owner of Neo Coco. And I'm Tammy Tan, owner of Spice Home. And we are co-owners of Kitchen 519, our commercial rental kitchen in Belmont, California. Welcome to Lettuce Wrap, the podcast about food, food business, and the people who work in the industry. Today we're talking to, to Melanie. She has a food company called Slow Brine. So Melanie is one of our clients at Kitchen 519. And that's how we met her. So Melanie, tell us about your Slow Brine. Yeah, we are all about fermented foods. So we make lots of sauerkrauts and kimchi and pickles. I started the business about two years ago with my partner. We are on the coast side and we just planned to start slow. This was a, a big career change for me personally. So wanted to get my hands dirty a little bit and do some farmer's markets and kind of see how it went. And here I am. What were you doing before? I worked in fundraising. So uh, in the nonprofit sector. That's a huge change for you then. What, um, what inspired you to jump over to the food world? Um, I think I just was really ready for a change. I've always loved to cook. I have always had kind of a pickle problem. I love fermented <laughs> foods. So I decided to take a break from work and do a culinary program, which took me about six months or so. And then I spent a little time as a 40-something-year-old intern working in various kitchens, trying to figure out what I wanted to do. And this is uh, where I landed. I just kind of came back to what I, what I love. What uh, program did you go to? did you use? I went to the um, natural chef program at Bowman College in Berkeley. Oh, I'm not familiar with that one. It's a pretty small program. They have campuses in Sonoma County, in Berkeley, and in Santa Cruz. Basically two programs. They have a natural chef program and a nutrition consultant program. Did, um, did they help place you after their program? Like in culinary internships? Mm -hmm. um, they did have some some materials available for you to kind of get ideas, but it was basically up to the students individually to find their own internships. I used some of the connections through the school and others. I just randomly looked for kind of small startups is what I was interested in, um, seeing how other people were getting a brand new business off the ground. But not specifically in pickling or in brining. I did um I did one internship just very few hours at another shop. But yeah, I did a few things. I did some recipe development for a large company that caters for like corporate lunches. I did a vegan ice cream. I did a large cooperative that does basically nutrient dense meal plans for for subscribers. So I had a little bit of variety. So do you th do you think that the experience outweighed the actual education or if you had to do it over again would you go to school again would you go down that path or would you just try to work or try to intern Uh you know it's a good question and and I hear a lot of a lot of food professionals talk about how maybe culinary school is kind of a thing of the past uh and I get it I did learn a lot but I think for me it was more of a it was more of a personal thing. It was a little sabbatical for my work life and a little bit of time for me to figure out what I wanted to do. So in that way, it was good for me. But do I think it's necessary? Not really. And I, you know, I was fermenting foods 
long before I went into the culinary program. Did you ever consider working as well as doing this kind of like on at night and evenings? Yeah, I didn't. When I started this journey, I really didn't know where it was going to take me. As I started Slow Brine itself, I thought, oh, it's going to be a small food startup and I'm just going to do a couple farmers markets. I can work, you know, a part time job or, you know, or more while I do this. But I quickly found this work to be pretty time consuming. So, um, so I don't know. I don't know how that would go. I know plenty of people do it, but yeah, I, I have not. (laughs) So actually, I have a question about your name. How did you come up with it? Uh, we, Todd and I created a very long list of potential names. Todd is my partner in business and also in life. So we started the business together and we, um, slow brine made sense to us because it's fermentation and it's, um, it's definitely a slow food. It's a long process. It's not something that you can do in a couple hours and, you know, start to finish and have a product on the shelf. It's a great name. Yeah. Yeah. I have to agree. Very appropriate. Yeah. And really catchy. I think that like people, when to hear it, they're going to remember you, which is the best compliment for a name. Thank you. Can you describe your logo? Yes. So we've got a little bit of an anchor. I I got some help with the with the logo itself. So we went through a crowdsourcing app called 99designs. So that was an interesting process because I got to talk about what the products were that we were planning to sell and also for the folks who were going to submit designs try to evoke for them I guess uh you know a feeling about the business because we're on the coast. Once we decided on the name Slow Brine, I really wanted to to kind of tie in the location where we are. Right. So your logo being an anchor, you want to show that you're anchored to the West Coast yeah. as well as that nautical feel. Yeah. Um, I really like tying in the the kind of coastal feel because we are on the coast. We use sea salt in our products. We try to use a lot of um, produce from from the farmers on the coasts. So place is really important to the business. There are a lot of brine foods out there. There's a lot of pickled things. What's your differentiator? What makes yours special? I think the location, the fact that we get to work with some small farmers, we get to work with some really unique produce uh, is one of the differentiators for us. A few of the products that I'm especially proud of, I guess I should say, We have a farm that we work with, the Half Moon Bay Wasabi Farm. There are not very many wasabi farms in the U.S. It's a a difficult um, plant to grow. But lucky for us, we're in the area and found a way to work with the farmers using, um, using the whole plant. So parts of the plant that don't typically get used here in the States. So our Coastside Crowd is a really unique product for that reason. Which is my favorite crowd, actually. <laughs> Not because it's like Asian-esque or anything like that. <laughs> but I think it's just a fantastically balanced crowd. So one of the things that I remember you recently did is uh, take a trip to Japan. Can you talk a little bit about that trip? Sure. We took a culinary trip to Japan one of the teachers at the culinary school that I went to uh, started a, a business leading culinary trips. 
it's called Sober Mesa, if anybody's interested. But so we went to Japan with her and we had an opportunity to just see a lot of craftsmen kind of in their in their element, food and otherwise. But the primary focus of the trip was culinary. We got to see um, vinegar being made. We got to make miso with a miso master. We visited a 150-year-old family-run uh, pickling business and got to learn some Japanese pickling with them. It was really eye-opening. So many pickles in Japan. It was amazing. That uh, she tailored that trip to make sure that she saw, because she knew you were going to be on that trip to visit pickles and um, miso. And I think that she probably has some of the some similar interests, but it was a very small group of people. There were only five of us on the trip, so I think she was able to tailor it a little bit to the individual interests of the group. Will we see some miso something at some point? <laughs> I mean, there must be some influence that you got. Yeah, definitely. And I, I definitely need to experiment a bit more myself before I try to um, to add to the line to the slow brine lineup. But it was um, it was definitely inspiring. And so I hope I hope in some way, whether or not it's some form of Japanese traditional pickle or just borrowing a little bit from those flavors and influence and and doing something new. We'll see what happens. You do have quite a global collection of pickles and crowds. And you want to talk a bit about all the different ones you have? Sure. And not to say that I, I probably I take some liberties, but um but there's definitely lots of global influence from very traditional types of European krauts. We do a Blaukraut, which um, Todd and I lived for a little while in Germany. And so it was definitely inspired by a German recipe, just using some red cabbage and apple and onion. Um, we also do a Salvadorian-style curtido and kimchi, Korean kimchi. And then our co-side kraut has got the wasabi and ginger and seaweed. So there's a little bit of a Asian influence there. You haven't talked yet about my favorite. The sea salt. Oh, yes. The seed and salt sauerkraut. Yeah. Yeah. So. That's a classic. Thank you. And an award winner. Yes. Yes. We were finalists last year's, in last year's Good Food Awards um, with that product. And it was really one of the first kind of spice blends that I played with for our products. So it's, it's a simple kraut, most like a traditional German sauerkraut, but we put some celery seed and nigella seed in it. So it's got this really kind of savory thing going on. I don't know. Yeah, I think that one's fantastic as well. Actually, every kraut I've tried from you, even the kimchi and, you know, like the global ones have been fantastic. But what I haven't tried from you actually is pickles. I don't know what you're doing. Are, are you doing half sours or? Yeah, something like a half sour. And the, um, the, the ghost pickles that we do are also, they're fermented pickles. So because we don't use any, any kind of preservatives or anything, um, anything artificial to keep the pickles crisp, they're a super seasonal product for us. So we just have them a few months in the summer. Um, and everything is refrigerated. Everything is, yes, refrigerated. I want to know something that you uh, pickled that didn't work. Have you tried anything that was like, oh, that's not good? 
Um, I mean, over the years, I have sure had personal mishaps at home. I have um, neglected things that uh, that needed attention. <laughs> let's just say so. You know, I've seen my fair share of mold and whatever things gone south. It's kind of to be expected. But nothing unusual. You tried to your brine that's like, oh, I'm going to take this X and, and brine it and see what happens. Well, yes. Uh, so I did a small experiment for myself not that long ago. Uh, I'll preface it by saying that one of my favorite foods in the world is umeboshi, which are these little Japanese salt brined plums, and they're delicious. But the plums, it's a very specific, it's actually an apricot, I think, and they're they're kind of hard to find. But I'm like, I'm going to try with some other stone fruit. So the cherries were in season. I'm like, I'm going to make umeboshi cherries. Sure. Um, and <laughs> well, it was it was fine. So the, I think the thing about umeboshi is that they're so super tart in a very specific way. And cherries were sweet and delicious yeah. as they were. Yes. <laughs> they're yeah. sweet tart, right? Yeah. So, so I'm cringing over here when she's <laughs> on that pairing, by the way. <laughs> well, yeah. What if you like green cherries? Maybe that would work. That would probably work. Hmm. I don't know. One of these days. Do people eat green cherries? I don't know. I mean, you know, like when you're a kid and there's the cherry tree and you just want to get some cherries and you, even if they're green, you take them? No. <laughs> like red? No, if they're not turned red. <laughs> you know. do that. And get a stomachache afterwards? You never did that? No. no. Okay. Maybe I'm just not me. that adventurous yeah. <laughs> eater. I did that. Ah, see, you are adventurous after <laughs> all. Since we're, we like to talk about business, what's the most difficult thing that you felt starting a business? I think, first of all, just getting over the hump of like, going for it is a big one. So if if somebody really wanted to do it, I guess I would advise them to just give it a shot and make it work out for them in a way they can make it work. Um, for me, I think I got hung up on a lot of really small or maybe not so small details, but the details that I didn't necessarily have to get hung up on. Like, I don't know how UPC codes work. What happens when you get inspected? What paperwork do I have to fill out? What kind of registration do I need? Um, and I really let my wheels spin over some of those questions that I probably didn't have to. I probably could have found some guidance or whatever. But um, like I said, I struggled over, you know, some stuff that I didn't need to struggle over. I know, but when you start, you get overwhelmed. It's very overwhelming. With all, with all those details, and you think that you need to know everything right then, right when you start. Yeah, because it's all brand new. I mean, yeah. to me, it was all brand new. I didn't really have this this kind of experience, and even working in a kitchen, I wasn't... It's, it's different than starting a business. It's all the bureaucratic stuff that really kind of made me crazy. <laughs> So that isn't your forte. Your your passion is definitely in brining, pickling. Everything. Yes. I mean, I I spent a lot of time 
dealing with bureaucracy in the nonprofit world, writing grant reports and things like that. So um, I was ready for a little, a little more active work and just a chance to do something I loved. Do you think going to school gave you confidence to take that step, step too? I mean, maybe that was one of the first steps to go taking those classes was part of it. Yeah, for me, it was just getting out of my my routine and like my my safety net of yeah. my job and and all of that stuff and doing something totally different. And I'm sure that exists for a lot of people, but it's it's also a lot of work and it costs money and. There's so much involved in starting a business and so much more than I than I knew when I dove in. I was warned for sure, but you can make all the budgets you want and the sure. timelines and all of that stuff. And if you're lucky, you get close. But So with what you know now, would you have started it? Yeah, I, I definitely would have. I'm learning a lot all the time, which is important for me. And I'm mostly having fun. You know, I mean, work is work sometimes for real. No matter how much you love something, work work can be work. But uh, some added bonuses aside from just starting a business is it's really it's really helped me to feel a little bit more part of my community, getting to do local farmers markets, getting to work with local farmers and um, other small businesses. And uh, that's been that's been a definite plus for me, too. So if you had a chance to do it over again, was would there be anything you changed over the last couple of years? <laughs> Good question. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, probably, but I'd have to think about it a little sure. bit more. I, I think most of it would just have to do with with my own kind of frame of mind going into it, just, you know, having the confidence to do it. Do you felt like having Todd there with you gave you also the confidence? Would you have started it without him? I... I was not ready to start a business by myself. That's for sure. So I definitely wanted uh, a partner in it. And um, he definitely had a special kind of enthusiasm for it. That was, (laughs) that was great, (laughs) you know, and like the willingness to just like help me out and let me take the lead doing what I wanted to do. So, yeah, I mean, it's helpful to have a cheerleader for sure. But, you know, I knew enough from the experience I had that, um, I was going to need help lifting heavy things and you know what whatever there's a, there's a lot of just mechanical stuff involved in making massive quantities of food that um I just I wasn't ready to do on my own and I wasn't ready to bring on you know employees for a business I hadn't started yet so and he's definitely not a silent partner I mean he's Right there with you. I mean, yeah, at least from what we've observed. <laughs> yeah, he's um, he is, and he's a <laughs> he's a super positive person, which which helps me because sometimes I can, you know, whatever. You have a bad week, and this isn't working. Everything is terrible. Um, so it's nice to have, it's nice to have some positive words. Nice to have some balance with your with your partnership yeah yep that we can definitely understand (laughs) yeah what do you see yourself in five years with slow grinds what's your goal i mean do you want to stay small or do you want to grow it's a good question and it's actually one that i i don't necessarily have an answer to right now but i have been i've been thinking about it a lot 
And uh, there, I suppose, are a few directions that we can go in. I'm, I'm going to give myself another year to, to kind of continue a little and try and grow some additional retail partners and see how it feels and see how our product fares um, with increased production. It's, it's a difficult one because it's, um, it's a really handmade product for us. And it's a, you know, fermentation is such a traditional food way. And so when you, when you try to expand too much, I don't know. I'm concerned that that the end result might not be as good. So I'm going to take it a little bit slow and and see what direction we want to go. Well, our little next session is our rapid fire. So we don't want you to think too hard about it. <laughs> don't, worry. don't worry. It's okay. Hold on to your anchor necklace there. Got it. <laughs> Let it uh, hold you down. And just um just off the top of your head, you know, we're we're going to switch off here and ask you quick things. So what is the best pairing with your product? Mm, this isn't fast. No. <laughs> um, <laughs> it depends on the product. Okay. How about this? Sauerkraut. Uh, Christine's favorite one. Okay. The seed and salt. Okay. So that one, um, I, I feel like is great with um, a roast chicken. It's also really good with um, like a grain bowl, a bowl of brown rice and some stir fried veggies and tofu or whatever. Okay. My favorite one, Kosai Kraut. I love to put that one on ramen soups and miso soups. And I've also incorporated it into a seaweed salad, which is pretty good. What is some uh, bad pairings? Like what won't you put your stuff with? What wouldn't you recommend it with? Candy. Candy? <laughs> okay. No, I, I was, that's too bad. I was going to try to make a truffle out of it. Now, 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 never mind. I'm interested to see how that turns out. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I think like one of the coolest things about getting to talk to customers at farmers markets, this is maybe a longer answer for the rapid fire, but is thinking about sauerkrauts in a different way. So, like, people think about it, putting it on a hot dog, putting it on some sausage, which is, also totally delicious but um i don't know add it to a stir fry put it in your salad like it's an easy way to get some you know probiotic foods into your diet a little bit of crunchy salty goodness and it really goes well with almost anything savory i would say has any customer come up to you and said i paired it with this and you were like oh no <laughs> um like they put it in the smoothie. <laughs> oh. uh, I have heard of people putting kraut in their smoothies. Yeah. I, I just think of fruit smoothie, but yeah, they're vegetable smoothies, but a fruit yeah. smoothie? Oh. No. Or yeah. maybe just yeah. a little, you know, if you put a tablespoon or two in, you probably wouldn't even know it's there, depending on what's in the smoothie. I mean, that's thinking of food in a functional way versus just like, I don't know, wanting to eat delicious food. Um, I haven't, I haven't heard anything super weird from any of my customers <laughs> yet but maybe i'll maybe i'll put a call out <laughs> see what folks come up with uh-oh sophie's choice question oh let me do it yes pickles versus sauerkraut your fave yes which one well it 
it all really started with pickles for me. So I am definitely a pickle fan. I have come to love sauerkraut, but it was an acquired taste for me. My mom used to, uh, my mom used to open cans of sauerkraut, you know, cans of shelf stable kraut and heat it on the stove with whatever, not to yuck my mom's yum, but it did not smell good for me as a child. And it put me off of sauerkraut until actually I was an adult and I moved to Germany and I had some fresh sauerkraut and I was like, this is life changing. It's really delicious. So, um, so I have come to love the krauts as well. Um, and all things fermented, but yeah, I'm a, I'm a pickle girl. Huh. That's interesting. Would you try pickles and ice cream? Um, I have not tried it, but I would actually. I saw a recipe recently for pickle ice cream, which I don't. I tried garlic ice cream once at the garlic festival. I don't need to do it again, <laughs> but um, I might feel the same way about pickle ice cream. But I would, I would try it once for sure. I know. As much as I love garlic, even I was like, not the garlic ice cream. <laughs> it's a little wrong. It's it's really wrong. <laughs> What about um, what about picklebacks? You know, when people do a shot of pickle juice. Yeah, why not? Into that. Yeah. <laughs> with, so with- I actually recently I have um, I have some super enthusiastic customers, also fans of the Coastside Kraut, and they have been um, using the brine of the Coastside Kraut to make some basically dirty martinis. Yeah. So it's fun. I get I get lots of customers asking for the brine. But yeah, you did. You bottled one of them. I do bottle the kimchi brine. Yes. Yeah. So they can drink it as opposed to even pickling yeah. more with it. I have Bloody Marys. Drink oh, it. Yeah. yeah. I like to put it in a Bloody Mary. It's good. You get a little probiotic cocktail. It's good as a hot sauce. Around some eggs or whatever. So besides um, pickles and kraut, sorry, this is not rapid fire anymore, but um, is there other products you're thinking about getting into? Uh, I am just about to do my second batch of Sirius Sambal, which is just a cayenne pepper sambal paste. It's got lots of ginger and lime juice and garlic. Um, So I did a small (laughs) experimental batch last year. Actually, somebody, uh, one of my former teachers at my culinary program actually said, uh, I know a farmer with a bumper crop of cayenne peppers. Can we interest you? So I'm like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so I made a small batch of that. It's sold sold out and people are coming back and asking for it. So I'm making a bigger batch this year. I'm excited about it. Great. Yeah. So chili sauces. Yeah. That's fantastic. Yeah, I am. Um, I think being able to experiment is um it's one of the rewarding things about having your own food business like you can try new things and it keeps it fun and interesting so I'm sure I'll have some new tricks up my sleeve soon. So where can we find you? Where can we find your product? So I am at a few farmers markets right now at the Coastside Farmers Market on Saturdays in Half Moon Bay. I'm at the Castro Farmer's Market in San Francisco on Wednesday nights from 4 to 8. And I am at the Fort Mason Farmer's Market on Sundays until 1.30. And you can buy your products. I know you can buy it at Spangler's in El Granada. Yeah, I'm at a few local retailers. We're at Rainbow Grocery in San Francisco. We're at Driver's Market in Sausalito. 
on the coast side, we're at Oceana Market and Spangler's. Um, we're at Bianchini's and San Carlos and Portola Valley. And we are in Point Reyes at Palace Market. Uh, can people order online? I'm not doing online orders right now, unfortunately. Um, I do have folks ask about it, but I package everything in glass and everything is refrigerated. And I just think it's a bit cost prohibitive to ship products right now. So everybody has to come to the Bay Area to experience slow brines. Visit them at one of the local retail stores or farmer's markets. Thank you so yes, much thank for, you for spending the time and us, telling us about yeah, Slow Brine. And- My pleasure. Thanks for, thanks for having me. Thanks for letting me work in this amazing kitchen. <laughs> <laughs> and we didn't pay her for that plug either. <laughs> well, thank you so much. Thank you for listening to Let Us Wrap with Christine and Tammy. Thank you to our engineer and producer, Jason Anthony Guy. Please subscribe and rate us on iTunes. If you have any feedback or suggestions, please tweet us at LettuceWrapPod or email us at LettuceWrapPod at gmail.com. Take it away, Melanie. Till next time, it's a wrap.